0: And uh, as you're grabbing a seat, the ushers are going to receive the offering. So if you brought that with you, you can take that out. And uh, while they're doing that, I'm going to hit a couple of announcements that kind of apply to next week. So uh, things that are taking place next week, uh, our high school ministry, they're doing a friends giving this week. And uh, I've never been to a friends giving a day in my life, but it sounds like a really cool thing. But uh, they're going to be dressing up and bringing friends if they want. But it's just a great meal, a great time of celebrating together. That's um, next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Uh, also, we started something a while ago called B4 Basics, which is a course that just, it's actually a one-day opportunity where a couple of our staff members are available to sort of talk through the direction of our church. Who are we as a church, and, and what are we going, and what are we doing, and it's really a time to create space where people can ask questions and learn more about what B4 is all about. So if you're new here, uh, and this is a new experience for you, or maybe if you've been gone a while and you're coming back and you want to answer some, que- or have some questions answered, I encourage you to check that out. That's not this Sunday, the following Sunday at 12.15. And then uh, you might notice that there's some new B4 branded gear out in the commons out there. And uh, I think I told this story a while back, but I was camping this summer and I was in the middle of nowhere and I was hanging out. I was cooking some dinner and this guy pulls up in a van next to me and, um, and he jumps out of his van. He's setting up his camp and I noticed that he's wearing one of our B4 shirts And I was like, what are the odds that this guy goes to our church? So I go up and like, we met. And uh, since that time, we've gotten to know each other. In fact, this last week, uh, he and his wife and Sherry and I and a couple other people, we went out to dinner. And it's just amazing how something as simple as a shirt with a logo on it made me realize, hey, I know, like we go to the same church. And and so that's one of the reasons we do that. So if you're interested in checking that gear out, uh, that's out there in the comments, but I, I encourage you to do that. The other thing I wanna mention, I'll say this now, next Thursday night, Uh, I'm going to be so full of turkey that I will be probably taking a nap at this time or just asleep for the evening. So next Thursday, there will be no Thursday evening service. Um, There's no Thanksgiving service either. So I just want to mention that to you as well. So make plans to be here next Sunday if you can't be here uh, because we we won't have that. But tonight, um, we're continuing on. Actually, tonight we are wrapping up our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, We have done a six-week deep dive into this really unusual Old Testament book this Old Testament text of wisdom. And what we've said from the outset is that this study uh, of Ecclesiastes really presents a wisdom that is beyond wisdom. That there's sort of conventional, simple wisdom. There's like the don't do dumb stuff kind of wisdom. But then there's the kind of wisdom that says, what do you do when life doesn't turn out the way that you expected it to? What do you, how, how do you find the wisdom for the really complex times in life? How do you navigate at a deeper level? And so what we've acknowledged is that Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes seems to be saying that yes on the surface there's a basic level of wisdom that biblically is presented to us but then there's a depth of wisdom there's something deeper there's a there's a deeper stream that runs in the souls of individuals who have this kind of wisdom and Ecclesiastes is opening our eyes to this it's giving us something tangible that we can live in so here in the last week, um, the teacher gives us one final message that in many ways is a bookend or mirror image of how he opens the book with one added twist. So if you have a Bible or you want to grab one of the pew ones in front of you, if you're online, maybe you should get your phone out and, and pull it on. But if you want to open your Bible to chapter 12 of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, somewhere there between Psalms, Proverbs, and the Song of Solomon, you'll find it. So open your Bible to the middle of make it, a, make a little bit of a right-hand turn, and you should be there. Um, We're going to start reading in just a minute. Before I start unpacking these particular verses, I just want to give you one really interesting detail that I think has significance for us. The final words that the teacher gives us are in the form of a poem. So the final chapter, the final words... It's really interesting because he gives us a poem in this. And you say, well, why is this interesting? Well, it's interesting because poetry, in many ways, is the language of the soul, right? Poetry is the language of the soul. While most of us, we don't sit around these days in our culture, at least I don't, and none of my friends do, we don't sit around listening to poetry, Um, we do spend a large amount of our time listening to songs, don't we? And Even just now, we've, we've sat and we've listened to songs and we've participated in music because songs, essentially what songs are, is poetry that is just set to music. So think about most songs. When you think about what you listen to, you realize when you're hearing a song, you're hearing the language of the soul, right? You're hearing how people feel. You're hearing how people think. You're hearing, you hear how people hurt. You hear how people heal, I mention this for a really specific reason. Uh, For many of us uh, throughout the course of this series, the musings of the teacher in Ecclesiastes are a bit disorienting in some ways, like the melancholy of the delivery, the the occasional twinge that he seems to offer of hopelessness, or uh, the frustration that he expresses over unexplained circumstances, the, the experience that he has with people who are at their worst and not their best. Uh, The feeling that he seems to continually come back to that time is slipping away, that it's difficult to find meaning in this life. All of that is a little bit off-putting, right? Do you agree with this? Yeah, okay. All of you are with me tonight. I like that. So let me ask this. What if this someone that's writing the book of Ecclesiastes was John Mayer? For those of you who aren't familiar with John Mayer, I essentially just described half- of his music that he writes, right? There's some melancholy, there's some twinge of hopelessness, frustration of circumstances, experience of people at their worst, time slipping away. In fact, take a moment. I just want you to check out these lyrics to just kind of a selection from one of his songs. And notice how similar he sounds to the writer of Ecclesiastes. He says this, he says, "'No, I'm not colorblind. "'I know the world is black and white. "'I try to keep an open mind, "'but I just can't sleep on this tonight. Stop this train. I want to get off and go home again. I can't take the speed it's moving in. I know I can't, but honestly, won't someone stop this train? Then he goes on, he says, don't know how else to say it. I don't want to see my parents go. I'm one generation's length away from fighting life out on my own. Kind of sounds a little like Ecclesiastes. Here's another one of his songs. He says, I guess I just feel like nobody's honest Nobody's true. Everyone's lying to make it on through. I guess I just feel like I'm the same way too. I guess I just feel like good things are gone and the weight of my worries is too much to take on. I think I remember the dream that I had that love's gonna save us from a world that's gone mad. I guess I just feel like what happened to that? I guess I just feel like the joke's getting old, the future is fading, and the past is on hold, but I know that I'm open, and I know that I'm free, and I'll always let hope in wherever I'll be. It sounds like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? How about this song, The Brothers Osborne? Recent song that I loved just from a couple of years ago. He says, make amends with that old friend you swore you'd never talk to again because you miss him. Call your mom on the telephone. Take a, by the way, I hope my mom's listening to this. Call your mom on the telephone, talk a whole lot of nothing till the cows come home and listen. Cross every T, down Rose the odds cause years grow wings and fly on by and time slip your, slips through your fingers just like sand because everything you thought would last forever never lasts forever like you plan. Don't let your night become another. So take life by the hands while you still can. It sounds like the writer of Ecclesiastes, if you gave him a guitar, would be a famous pop musician today, right? Like he's like your basic singer-songwriter in our culture today. By the way, if you listen to a significant amount of musical poetry in our culture today, you will hear melancholy You'll hear twinges of hopelessness, you'll hear frustration of circumstances, you'll hear experience of people at their worst, and you will hear about time slipping away. Those are continued themes in our music today. And all of that makes us realize that this writer of Ecclesiastes and all of his brilliance is actually one of the first people to tune into something that is universally a part of the human experience. He's one of the first ones to say these feelings that people get, everybody gets them everywhere. Everybody gets this. So with all the joking aside, all the other things aside, he says, there is one final song that I must write for you. But this song has something different in it from the songs that our culture offers us. This song is very familiar on some levels, but then he slips in this little bit of a twist and it offers something that no music in our culture today offers us. So we're gonna read through this final chapter, this final poem, and then we're gonna unpack the meaning together. So start reading in verse one, it says this. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms. And the grasshopper drags drags itself along And desire is no longer stirred Then people go to their eternal home And mourners go about the streets Remember him Before the silver cord is severed And the golden bowl is broken Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring And the wheel broken at the well And the dust returns to the ground it came from And the spirit returns to God who gave it Havel, Havel Vapor, vapor Says the teacher Everything is vapor So I want to walk through this first little section of this. He tells us at the beginning in verse one, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble came. Now this first verse sets the direction for the rest of the poem. He says, I want you to remember something, but I want you to remember something at a very specific moment in time in your life. I want you to remember before the days of trouble come. Now, this phrase, the days of trouble, is actually a Hebrew euphemism or expression that might actually be better translated before the evil days come. That was actually probably the better way to translate it. But in our culture, that would be lost in translation also. Because the phrase evil days in the Hebrew language is actually a reference to old age. When the Hebrews talk about evil age, they're talking about old age. So evil, in this case, doesn't have to be do, do with being immoral. It's when things get difficult because you've gotten old. That's what he's talking about. Evil because now you wake up some mornings and you're sore in places and you have no explanation for them. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Evil because you used to be able to do certain things with no problem, but now those tasks seem more complicated. Evil because every day seems to bring some new surprising ache and pain or a muscle that you didn't know you had. And so he says, I want you to remember before that. And he continues, remember, verse two, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. This reference to the sun and the moon, this is not some sort of end times prophecy that he's alluding to. The sun and the moon and the light and the stars is a poetic reference to days coming to an end. It's like um, the clouds, then he says, return after the rain. This is like when you were young and uh, I remember the days when I could play pickup basketball And the next day, I wouldn't feel anything. I don't play pickup basketball anymore because I can't get over the pain from pickup basketball for days and days on end, right? The sun used to shine after I played pickup basketball, but now I wake up and it's still cloudy. That's what he's trying to say here, right? As you get older, things don't have the same effect. So remember, he says, and then verse 3, he says, remember... When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they're few and those looking through the windows grow dim. So keepers of the house, that is the Hebrew metaphor for your hands. Before the hands tremble, he says, before strong men stoop. My grandfather on my dad's side of the family um, he, for some reason, had unusually large biceps. I have no explanation for this. He, in fact, I just, I just know that he, all my life growing up, he was this incredibly strong man. And when I was a kid, I remember I would go to my grandpa and I would say, Grandpa, lift me up, lift me up. And I remember he would put his arm out like this. And this was when he was well into his 60s. He would hold on and he would lift me up. And I remember just seeing his bicep flex as he would raise me up and hold me in the air off the ground. My grandfather was always viewed through that lens until the day I took my wife to meet him. And when I saw him through her eyes, I realized the frailty that had come to him. He had bowed down. He had stooped. That's what the writer is referring to. When the biceps shrink and you're no longer the strong man you used to be. He says, when grinders cease because they are few. Anyone want to guess what grinders are? He's talking about teeth, right? He's talking about before you lose all your teeth. That's literally what he's talking about. The grinders, before your grinders are few, remember, before those looking through windows grow dim. We have a saying in our culture that eyes are the window to our soul. Eyes are windows. He's talking about eyesight failing When your eyesight begins to fade before that moment, he says, remember, remember before verse five, when people are afraid of heights and dangers in the streets and the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. When almond trees blossom, let me show you a picture of blossoming almond trees. What do you think this is a reference to? Your hair, right? If you happen to have hair when you reach that point, it turns white. He's talking about if before your hair turns white, remember. Then we come to one of the more interesting poetic metaphors, and I've spent the entire day worrying about this moment right here. I don't know how else to say this, but when he says the grasshopper drags itself along and there's desire is no longer stirred. Um, There's no way to put this delicately. (laughs) He's talking about the male anatomy here. And it turns out that um, the grasshopper is a metaphor for that. And eventually desire is no longer stirred. And so he's saying enough with that. You guys know what we're talking about here, right? The passion fades. He says, remember before those days, right? So all along in the poem, what he's describing are the latter years of life. He's talking about aging all along. It's building and building and building. And there's this idea presented throughout. He's telling us to remember, remember, remember. But the question is, remember what or remember who? And so verse 6, he says, remember him. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. You can picture a dilapidated town with this, right? The dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. He says, remember him. And if you go back to verse one, you remember who him is. You remember who he is. He is your creator, Remember your creator. So the writer of Ecclesiastes says, before these moments come, long before this, he says, I want you to remember before you breathe your last breath, remember your creator. And so the poem is building and building and building to this point. And what is he saying? What's he telling us? Well, the poems of our culture, the music of our culture... It leaves us in an unresolved angst. Do you realize this? I mean, there's a part of it. You hear it. You can hear the lyrics to the songs I read earlier, and you can say, yeah, this, this sounds like Ecclesiastes. We should make the most of our days. Life is a vapor. Breath is something we should be grateful for. The, the life is short, and so we should make the most of it. There is a sense that listening to our culture's poems can do this. But our cultural songs, our cultural poems never tell us how. How do you make the most? Yes, life is short. Yes, we should be grateful for the breath we breathe. Yes, our days slip by. But how do I actually stop this train? How do I do that? The teacher of Ecclesiastes is taking everything a step beyond this simple message of, we'll just learn how to be present. He's taking it beyond that. He's taking it beyond, hey, you know what? Just make sure you smell the roses and enjoy the moment. Let me just tell you, John Mayer, the Brothers Osborne, they can do that part, but the teacher actually shows us how. How do you live and respond to this thing that it stirs up inside of you? And it's so simple, it's right in front of us. He says, remember your creator now. In the moment, remember your creator And the emphasis is on now. That's the whole point of the aging illustration. He's addressing what he's doing when he does this. And by the way, this this message is important no matter where it hits you in the span of your life. He's addressing the mythology that certain things can be ignored until certain points in your life, right? There's this understanding like, well, I'll get to it then. I'll, I'll, I'll think about those things then or I'll, I'll address those things at this point in my life. And he's addressing this mythology and he's saying, no, no, you need to understand, you need to remember your creator now. In this moment, for this moment to be what it's intended to be, you have to recall your creator in a particular way. So I wanna play a little game with you just for a moment. Um, I'm gonna show you a number. Here's a number. 28,470. If someone today gave you $28,470, that'd be a nice little gift, wouldn't it? Anybody refuse to take that, or would you all receive that if I gave it to you, right? Most of you would probably take it, right? You could go maybe buy a decent car, you know, I don't know, what, buy some kind of car, maybe a couple years old. You could uh, maybe put a down payment on a house. You could do that sort of thing, right? Put a down payment on a house, um, You could pay for like the first week of a first semester of a first year of college with that, I think, maybe, I don't know. Um, At least that's what it feels like to a dad who's been putting kids through college. But still, $28,000, that'd be pretty nice, right? But if I told you this, if I said, okay, we would all say, I'll take the money, that's that's a no-brainer. But if I came and said, listen, I've got a game show idea and we're gonna give away $28,000, would you tune in? (laughs) Probably not, right? I mean, we'd be like, well, that's great, but that's not like a million dollars. That's not that exciting, right? It's not that impressive. But let me change the question for you for just a second. Let me have you think about this differently, and this might actually distract some of you for the rest of the night, and I'm prepared to do that for you. But I want you to think about a different question. What if somebody gave you $28,000 and they said, this is all you're going to get for the rest of your life. This is all the money you're ever going to get you might look at that $28,000 a little differently, wouldn't you? First, you'd probably say, this is not enough, (laughs) right? But secondly, you would probably start figuring out ways to leverage those dollars in ways you never would have before, right? Now you'd be looking at every dollar, you'd be looking at every cent, every penny, you'd be saying, how do I make this last? How do I make the most of this? Now here's the catch. 28,470 is not a dollar amount. It's the average number of days that a person is given to live if you're born in the developed West. 78 years. You get 28,470 days to play in the sand with your life, to chase vapor with your life. Here's a scary thing I ran the numbers. Tomorrow's my 48th birthday. If I'm average, which just about everything else in my life tells me that I am, um, if I'm average, I have 10,950 days left. I've used two-thirds of my days. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes is revealing is that at a specific point in your life, you will come to realize what really matters and what doesn't. But why would you wait? Why would you wait? Why would you wait until the tree blossoms and the teeth fall out and your hands are shaking? Why wait until the cord snaps? There's this mad scramble that I think takes place in our hearts in moments like this. There's this fear that sets in, like most of us in the room, and I know that I'm creating some anxiety for some of you in the room, and you go, time flies, right? It goes by really quickly. And there's this, there's this immediate sense that like, something needs to be resolved. There's an acute feeling that something needs to change. That's why certain songs hit a certain way. They tap into something. And the teacher of Ecclesiastes says, the way you address all of this... What you feel right now when you hear that I have 10,000 out of 28,000 days left, the way you deal with that is that you remember your creator now. Now. Maybe you've noticed this. Uh, Maybe you've noticed when you're suddenly taking in a beautiful view, like when you're hiking someplace and you come to the trees and you step out into some precipice and you all of a sudden see this view and there's that gasp that you take, that breath that you take, and there's that feeling that you have that's very difficult to put into words. We use words like awe or wonder to describe that feeling in those moments you seem to forget the past and you seem to forget the future you don't worry about the future you just are because we wonder what is wonder what is awe how do you put that into words like when somebody says we'll describe wonder to you well think about that just for a moment if someone were to ask you to describe wonder feelings of awe how would you describe those things It's almost beyond comprehension. It's almost beyond words that you can use. It's something that you know. It's something that you can identify. You know you can feel it. You know there's some deeper sense that maybe in that moment you're connecting to something that is beyond this realm of time that we live in. But at the same time, it's almost impossible to place that in the language that we have to describe it. What we're doing in those moments, what's happening in those moments, is we're stumbling into remembering our Creator. When we feel wonder at the birth of a child, when we feel awe at the beauty of creation, we have stumbled into moments when suddenly something in our neurology recognizes that there is a creator that is beyond me. There is a creator that is bigger than me. There is a creator that has placed me here. And in that moment, we stumble to a point of realizing there he is. There's the creator. And strangely enough, those are what I would refer to as accidental encounters, And it has this effect on us. We have an accidental encounter with God, and there's wonder. And what the teacher is telling us is don't wait for accidental encounters with your creator. Don't wait until you're forced into it. Remember now. This invitation is one that is meant to bring reality to bear every single day. And so this is not just remember, like, I'm going to recall with fondness. That's what we would think about most of the time. We say, remember something. It would just be, oh, I'm going to recall this with pleasant memories. No, there's something attached to this. The whole book ends with a summary and an invitation. And if you get it, if you catch it, it changes everything for you. Listen to these final words in verse 13. Verse 13. The writer has said all of this. He's written his poem. He's told us about all of these things in life. And then he says, the end of the matter. Like it's settled. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Now, before I unpack this and before I close, let me just take a moment and talk about unsolicited advice. When I say unsolicited advice, I'm referring to just about everything from friendly suggestions to sticking your nose in somebody else's business. And here's what I have come to realize. No one likes unsolicited advice, right? Nobody does. Someone might say, no, no, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. But deep down, I don't know anybody who actually likes unsolicited advice, right? And what I find hilariously ironic is how many of us feel compelled to offer unsolicited advice to other people, even though we hate receiving it ourselves. You ever notice this? Like, I don't want you telling me what to do, but I'm really good at telling you what to do, right? Uh, I'm learning this even more now that I have adult children. This is a new thing for me, right? But wait, it's not advice. I'm just being helpful, right? Or or I call them suggestions. I'm just making a suggestion. You don't have to take it. It's just a suggestion, right? (laughs) Or Sherry and I have tried this new thing. We just start asking questions as if they don't see through the nature of our questions and know what we're getting at, right? The point is we don't like it. We don't like it. I didn't like it when my parents offered me unsolicited advice. My kids don't like it when I do. You don't like it when coworkers or other people in your life. We don't, we don't enjoy that. When other people tell us what we do, what to do, we don't really love it. But here's, here's the odd thing. When we respect somebody, when we trust somebody, When we know that someone has experience or expertise in a particular area and then we begin to bump up against that area and we make the decision to go to that person and we solicit the advice when we go to them, when not them to us, but us to them, when we go to them, we love that kind of advice, don't we? Isn't it amazing, like, when you're desperate for an answer, when you're at the end of your rope, when you're confused, when there's, like, 19 options and you have to make one choice, and you go to that person who has tons of life experience, and they have all sorts of knowledge, and they have experience with what you're dealing with, and you, you go to them, there's a part of you, you're just hanging on every word, like, what should I do? Tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do. You just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You would never do that until you solicit it, right? Right? The difference is in who's initiating and the manner in which we approach the other. Why is this important? And maybe you're asking, what does this have to do with these final verses? Well, I think that oftentimes we as human beings, we can view God's direction or God's instruction or God's commandment, as verse 13 says, as unsolicited advice. Like, you woke up one day and somebody handed you a Bible and they said, well, this is a letter from God and he's giving you a bunch of stuff that you're supposed to do and not do. And it's unsolicited advice, right? We have all of these things, all of these directives, but were we really asking for that? Well, the answer is yes, we actually were. You may not feel that way. It may feel at times like God's offering you unsolicited advice, but the Bible, when you look at it, do you you realize how many times, how many of the instructions that are offered by God that we read about in the Bible, they were solicited by human beings? One of the most basic well-known ones in the world, the 10 commandments. Do you realize Moses went up the mountain to find and hear from God? He brought a bunch of people to the desert. He was in up to his eyeballs. He didn't know what to do. He knew there was a new people to be formed. He had no way of knowing what was next. And where did he go? He went to the expert. He said, God, you know, like, what are we supposed to do? And God goes, let me give you 10 things to start with, right? Because you guys are going to mess this thing up if you don't get these 10 things right. So when Moses appeals to God, God responds and gives him these things. We need you. We need your help. How do we do this? Over and over again, when you listen to the beautiful things the Bible gives us, they are preceded by humans who are desperately reaching out and saying, God, we need something from you. So how often does your perspective of God's instruction change when it shifts from unsolicited to solicited? So the writer, the teacher of Ecclesiastes ends with this. Remember God now in other words he uses the word fear fear God in other words have wonder towards God like wake up every single day of your life right now and have a sense of wonder towards God acknowledge just how massive and beautiful and great and wonderful he is and then he says listen to his voice listen to his voice obey his commandments He's telling us to reverse the way that we often think and behave towards God. He's inviting us into this relationship where we lovingly look to his input and his instruction. It's like us stopping and saying, God, like every day stopping and saying, God, I know I act like I know what's best for my life. I know I think I know what I need, but you're way more brilliant at this than me. And I trust your instruction. That's what he's saying. And it's the same invitation that Jesus offers us. I think a lot of us miss this. I think a lot of us, we miss this massive aspect of what Jesus is trying to accomplish in us. Oftentimes we read Jesus, you know, we hear his words and we read him through our cultural framework. We're like, how does that fit into where we live culturally? We draw conclusions about what we should or could do because of what Jesus says. And as a result, I think we lose the sense that what Jesus is really trying to say is, can you just look at your entire life differently? Can you look at all of life differently? Can you see it through my eyes? Remember your creator now. That's the teacher's final invitation. The sun is gonna rise and the sun is gonna set and the rivers are gonna flow and the mountains are gonna stand and you're going to work, and you're going to build, and you're going to eat, and you're going to drink. It's all a part of being human. It's all a part of being on this planet. All those things we've talked about. But the only way that any of it will ever make sense or be meaningful or bring peace or deliver joy is when we remember God in all of it. Whatever it is, wherever it is, whoever it is. When your eyes are open to the presence of God, everything changes. So this whole thing, the whole thing, the writer sums up and says, this is an invitation. Do life with God in the same way that Jesus said, follow me, walk with me. Amen? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment? I wanna take a moment and just reflect on this for a second. If you were to consider the posture of your heart towards God's instruction, God's advice, are you listening Are you soliciting his wisdom? Are you leaning in for his direction? Are you the kind of person who would say, no, now, I want to remember God now, in this moment? Jesus, allow us to see the beautiful gift of that it is to know our creator and to be filled with awe and wonder. Lord, may you stir up passion in our heart to pursue that wonder. And out of that wonder, Lord, would you draw us to the beauty of your instruction and your ways that we might live out this life of flourishing that you have presented to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? <clears throat> so next week, we're gonna, um, we're gonna kick off a new series. Actually, next week, Advent begins, believe it or not. Advent begins next week. We are already into the Christmas season. I can't believe it. Uh, As you came in today, you might have noticed this, um, that there are Advent journals that we have created. They're just beautiful ways for you to focus devotionally during this season, and they're available out in the Commons on some of the different tables. If you're watching online, I believe there's ways that you can also get those online. I also want to mention that we have them in Spanish. We have them in Chinese, we have them in Russian, we have them in Portuguese. Um, Translators who are part of our ministry here and also folks from around the world worked together to write these Lent devotionals. And so um, it's just a beautiful thing. So the English ones, yeah, it's amazing. The English ones are right outside the door, um, but the other ones are over at our info counter. So if you'd like one of the other translations, I encourage you to stop by over there. And uh, that is all I'm going to say about that. So next week, new series. Uh, Tonight, if you want to pray with somebody, we've got some elders that are in the room. They've got some lanyards on with orange tags on them. They may find you. You can find them. Feel free to pray with them or ask them any questions that you might have. But let me offer this benediction to you as you go. May you be men and women who are free from the fruitless chasing after the wind. And may you be filled with wonder as you remember God now and lean into his instruction in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you guys so much. Thanks for being here tonight.